Welcome to the Buck and Strutton Podcast, the chronicles of two unlegendary public land hunters. Your home for hunting tactics, strategies, and stories. folks welcome back to the uh the buck and strutton podcast my name is nick bellis your host and today i am joined with mark ritchie from michigan mark how you doing today man good buddy how are you dude i am i am <laughs> i'm blessed but i am very very ready for fall it is hot humid it, it seems like i go outside and i gotta take a butter knife to carve my way anywhere i want to go i i cannot wait for those crisp mornings yeah, we got to do that here right now with not only the air thickness, but the thickness of the mosquitoes. Yeah, see, we we have we have pretty bad mosquitoes around here. But the further north you go, now I grew up in Michigan, so the, the further north you go, those suckers are huge. This is the worst I've ever seen them. Really? I mean, I've lived here, I'm 45 years old. I've lived here my whole life. I have never, ever had a year this is it's insane how uh how's your guys's ticks this year uh the ticks didn't seem to be i mean there, there was kind of a spurt of them um i think the mosquitoes killed them or something i, I don't know uh <laughs> they were they were bad in spots and others not much i mean turkey hunting this year i think maybe i found three but then i've been a couple of the archery ranges that i shoot at um you know, there for a while, you'd pick five or 10 off you in the first three or four targets. Right. So you, you've grown up in Michigan your whole entire life. Geographically, yeah. what part of Michigan is it? Uh, basically Southwest Michigan. Okay. Okay. I'm about 30 minutes North of the Indiana, Ohio border. Okay. Okay. Now what got you into archery? Uh, yeah, we're going to go down this rabbit hole. Being born. Um, <laughs> literally, I started, shooting a, I started shooting a bow when I was four. Um, I think maybe one of my buddies um, that I went to daycare with, if I remember right, uh, had some bow, um, and we were shooting at a daycare. And I could almost... Without exaggeration, I can, and anybody who knows me could tell you that it's, it's not really a lie. From that day forward, I bet I can count, I bet I can count the number of days that I haven't shot a boat. And that's literally by the day. Like I shoot every day. Is that typically right when you get home from work or do you try to squeeze them in before you got to go to work? No, when I get home. When you get home? Yeah. So. And even before I started competing, I just, I don't know. Just that's where I'm happy is when I'm shooting my bow. So when you first started shooting, you know, like I want I want to get into talk about the details of when you first started to actually take archery serious. You know, I mean, because beforehand we were talking that you uh, you owned a bow shop. Yeah. You know, we talked about that before we started recording. So I'm assuming that it was before you owned the bow shop that you were like, this archery thing is the shit. Like, yeah. What point did it start clicking that you really dove into it? Um, I grew up hunting, right? So that was that was my main focal point was just becoming as accurate as I could. Um, you know, back then before the the liberals kind of took over society, we used to actually have a, an archery program in school. Um, I mean, I know they have NASP, which is the National Archery in the Schools program. They have, now they have uh, the Scholastic 3D. Um, before then it was gym class, you know, for a couple of weeks every year, um, we would have archery um, and just beating my buddies. And, 
you know, we would shoot it on the weekends. We were all hunters. I mean, that's, we, we just grew up killing shit. Um, and it was kind of just wanting to be just as good, if not better than ever, than your buddies. Um, so I guess I've always taken it seriously. Um, but when I knew that it was definitely going to be an everyday part of my life that I, I wanted to make it, if I couldn't make it a full-time career, um, that it was at least going to be, cause it's more than a hobby to me. Um, I, I feel like my job is a hobby. I just do that to pay for my, my archery. Um, that's a good way to look at it. It is. I mean, it, that's the only reason I work, bud. I'm telling you that right now. The only reason I work is to make my house payment, get my kids some food and pay for my archery addiction. That's it. Um, but, uh, probably when I was early teens, uh, I knew that I, and that's when, like I was telling you earlier, the guy that I bought the bow shop from, um, he was a local guy and he was an FFL dealer and he, he basically just dealt guns out of his garage and he had uh, uh, a dealer supplier called Papes um, that also had archery stuff. And uh, so it was, it seemed like there was more archery going on back there than guns. So we kept telling him, Hey, you need to, you know, start getting into archery stuff. So then it just grew from there and we convinced him, I think when I was about 16 to, to actually build a shop so we could have a range to shoot in. And we had uh, Back then, the techno hunt, which started out as the dark system, then the techno hunt came in. That was huge. So we put in one of those. Um, and then uh, I basically helped him run that for, well, up until 2000 and I think eight is when I bought that from him. Um, but was always there helping, helping run it, you know, working on bows, selling stuff and shooting a lot. Competitively was... I think in 2010, um, you got to remember, I didn't know, like back then it was just, a. I knew there was 3d going on. We would go to local 3d clubs and me and my buddies just shoot targets. Um, but I didn't even know you could compete in this yet. I, I didn't know there was national world competitions. I just, I, I think archery has done a horrible job at advertising and getting that out to the general public. Um, for whatever reason, it just, I mean, even the local stuff, I complain a lot, you know, they, they wonder why participation, but there's so many people that don't even know. They don't know there's a shoot going on that weekend, let alone, do they know that there's national competitions they can go to? I bet there's still people out there today that have no clue what we do Right. It, it, to that extent. Um, it's it's almost like they try to keep it a secret. I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but yeah. And then I think it was about six years ago. I, I went, um, I had done well enough, won my way up through the classes nationally um, and went pro and I haven't looked back. Now you probably remember, I'm sure you do remember whenever the first time that you started to put yourself in these positions of competing that had to play some sort of like mental, like mental toughness kind of game. Like you oh, had to be archery is 85 to 90% mental. How, how did you go about knowing that you're going in here, you're competing against other people. If you were, if you were to talk to somebody who's getting into archery tomorrow and trying to give them some mental pointers, what, what would you give them? Um, just archery is, I would say 85, 90% mental, but 110% confidence. Like if you're not confident, like every time you draw your bow and let it go, if you're not confident, if you're wondering or questioning, or you think something's not right, competing and being on that stage is not a place for you to be. Once you get to that point to where you you completely trust your shot. And you know when you get to a tournament because there's there's nerves like you've never had before. I mean, you'll literally your legs will shake. Um, 
you, your bow does not even feel like it's your own. You feel like you just grab somebody else's bow. You try the, the poundage feels 20 pounds heavier. You know, once you get going into the tournament, you start to relax. Those kind of start to subside. Um, but when you first get on the line to start shooting, whether it's 3D, 3D doesn't bother me as much just because that's my background. Um, you know, shooting animals, but, you know, indoor spots or field and hunter shooting paper targets and stuff where you know you just can't miss. Like, you have to be in the X every time you draw your bow back, um, depending upon what class you're in. But uh, there are nerves like you, and, it, and it, those never go away. You, you learn how to manage them, um, but they never go away. And if it, you know, kind of like hunting, when that big buck comes in, everybody says you get buck fever. I think if you start to lose that feeling, you're probably not doing it for the right reasons. Right, right. So for somebody, you know, just picking up a bow and trying to, uh, to get it figured out, what, what routine or what, what would you tell them on how to go about becoming proficient with a bow and arrow? Um, find somebody who knows what they're talking about. Right. And, and I mean, seriously, um, not your, uh, your archery talk gurus. I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't some guys on archery talk that, that, and if people know what that is, but, um, it's, that's a kind of a social media outlet, um, internet <clears throat> where there's millions of people that all have millions of opinions and, you know, probably 9 million out of 10 million don't know what they're talking about. Um, so you have to be careful, but you find somebody who knows first off you getting set up properly. That is the main thing is getting set up with equipment that fits you. Not I, the, the mistake most people make is trying to fit themselves to the equipment. Um, that is the backwards way of thinking you fit the equipment to the archer. Um, and then start to learn, you know, shot routine. A lot of people in archery spend a lot of time on perfect form. I don't, is there such thing? Yeah, I guess. Um, but I, archery, anybody who's done it knows it's repeatability. Um, whatever you can do time after time after time after time, it's just, it's repetition. Um, so even if it's the worst form on the planet, if you can repeat it, you will be proficient and good at archery. Um, now I will say good form is easier to repeat um, and easier on the body because you use the right muscles, you do the right things. Um, but even bad form, even a bow that's out of tune will shoot if you do the same thing over and over again. Do you, so, I mean, this is, it's like, like <clears throat> we were talking prior, you know, over the last year, COVID really made people realize that there's more to life than their cell phones and all this shit that we were, you know, we were talking about. <clears throat> so everybody, it seems like everybody, especially at my bow shop, seems like everybody's going out and they're, they're picking up a bow and they're trying to get into it. Well, I think the stimulus money might've helped you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I bought tools. I, money laying around. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I could have had a new bow. That would have been. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go grab my charger. You're fine. Keep talking. Good. So, with, uh, with, with all these people getting into, getting into archery, do you, do you think that this is, is, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the only, <laughs> the only downside to, to getting more people into archery from an archer, I mean, I guess from a bow hunter is, you know, getting more people in the woods, which everybody knows that shoots archery. That's the best part of bow season is you don't really have the woods to yourself, but, um, at least it's, uh, a little more quiet than it is for gun season. Right. No, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very good thing. Um, anytime that you can grow the sport of archery and get more people involved, um, 
especially kids. I mean, we can dive into that and I can tell you my thoughts on that. Um, but yeah, any, anytime you get more people involved, you get more people out there, you get more people supporting it. Um, cause most people that start in archery, I mean, not, not everybody wants to go hunting and kill something. Right. Um, but it, I would say 85, 90% of people who shoot archery also hunt. Um, so, you know, as well as anybody, the more backing we have in that aspect, um, the better off we are. Cause every day they're trying to take it away from us. Right. That, that is, that is the hard truth right there. And I mean, I, you probably couldn't have said it any better. The more people we have bigger numbers there are on our part. And, and getting people to get along <laughs> supporting one another right. um, is, is the main thing because the worst thing is when you have people in your own community wanting to slit each other's throats. Um, you know, if we can't get along together, how are we supposed to band together to fight the people who are trying to take it away from us? Right. And I get it. You know, the longer you are in the sport of hunting, um, you know, everybody's out to shoot a, a trophy, whether it be a whitetail or a, an elk, a moose, a bear. Um, you know, everybody wants to shoot the biggest one out there. But you have to um, earn your stripes. But yeah, and it, being an asshole doesn't doesn't fast forward you through that process. No. Um, no. And, and I can tell you, you know, when I leased some ground and I had made my mind up that, because uh, like I said, that's my background. You know, I'm I'm very good with a bow. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm good. Um, I'm not the greatest but I'm, I'm proficient enough to, to do well. Um, but my, my background is, is hunting is killing shit. I mean, that's just done it since I was, a, I, I can remember. Um, and I fell into that trap, you know, I lost friends over it. Um, it, uh, it, it, it takes your mind over, um, when you go out and you spend that kind of time and money and effort into property and you start watching, you know, the monster bucks and you watch start, you start watching all of this stuff and you see what the potential is out there. Now, of course, like I told you before, you have to be in an area where that potential is even there. Not every property around the country is going to, I don't care what you do, is going to harbor big bucks or grow big bucks. It just doesn't work that way. No. And just because you watched a video and put a half acre food plot in and run trail cameras like an idiot doesn't mean there's going to be a 180 inch giant out there within a couple. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and I think that's a false belief, belief that a lot of people get. Um, but they they walk away every year eating a tag and being pretty, pretty disheartened because th those bucks just don't exist where they hunt. Um, but I got to a point to where killing big bucks it it took me over mentally um i got very greedy and very stingy about letting people hunt the property what they were i started telling people what size bucks they could and couldn't shoot um literally to where it robbed the enjoyment from me and them like i didn't enjoy like i told you earlier i got the last two years of that lease and there was some giant bucks out there I, I got to the point where i wasn't even hunting them i was hunting people because i was so just irritated that somebody might be hunting the property line or if i heard a gunshot it's like right. you know that sounded like it might have been close so i'd get right into my tree stand and go try to find them. it was retarded and the, um, these people though just so people are kind of understanding they didn't have permission to hunt this property no no but but still it didn't they still had permission to hunt around it right um but when you hear a gunshot that sounds close to the property line, you, you know, you just lose your brains. Right. Um, and it literally took me, I'll, I'll never forget this. Um, a, a good friend of mine uh, lost his dad when he was pretty young. And me and my brother kind of took him under our wing and, and basically started hunting with this kid, like doing anything. And when I started leasing this property and, and had, now when I tell you this property, had big bucks it, it, it's literally no lie um if it took me a lot of years to get it that way but you, you would like see years, more, right 
Yeah, it would, you would see more 140, 150, 160 inch deer than you would 110, 120 inch. I mean, they were, so you didn't have to, it's easy to hunt that kind of property and be picky when you know you have an option. Um, but he, he lost the place that, that, uh, that he had to hunt. And I felt bad for him. So opening day of gun season, I told him, I was like, hey, man, if you want to come hunting with me, you know, on this property, okay. Put, told him where to sit. I literally went through trail camera pictures with this kid for hours the night before, telling him what he could and couldn't shoot. Now, I've shot a lot of, a lot of deer over 140, 150. Um, so it was easy for me to be selectful. This kid hadn't shot a deer over 100 ever in his life. 120-inch deer to him was a, a deer of a lifetime. To me, it no, you ain't shooting that. So I would tell him. I literally did. Spent hours that night telling him what he could and couldn't shoot, going over pictures. Opening morning was the most stressful day of my life. <laughs> I, I'm sitting in my tree stand. I had my wife in a ground blind on the edge of another field, and I had him in a ground blind over towards the, the, the one corner of the property. And every day, a nine point would come out of the neighboring property, cut across the field and go into the, the timber and then into the swamp every morning. And I told him, I said, this, this buck does it every morning. Do not shoot that deer. Shoot. He knew which other ones he could shoot. Well, this is like right after daylight, about the time that I would always get this buck on camera going across that field. I heard this shot crack out. Instant, it was instant anger, not joy, not, it was instant anger. Like, did he just shoot that deer? Which was a three and a half year old buck, probably 135, 140 inch, um, an up and comer. And then I heard another shot. So now it's, I'm, I can't even explain to you the thoughts that were going through my head. Like I wanted to kill this kid. So I call him on my phone and start asking him. Anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shorten this story real quick. I robbed that kid of the best feeling of his life. It was hundred and almost 150 inch 11 point. But that kid was so scared by the time I got there that he had shot the wrong deer. When we found him, there was no joy on his face. I, I literally robbed that feeling of him. The biggest buck that he'll probably ever shoot in his life because I chose to be an asshole. And from that day forward, I told myself I was not doing that again. Like I had fallen down the same trap that everybody else had when it came to farming for whitetail and quality deer management and making sure that you shot one that was a certain age class. And, and so now it's easy for me to start picking apart what people do to other people and the comments they make. And I tried, now I try to handle hunting like I handle religion. Um, I don't go to church every Sunday, but I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. Um, I believe what Jesus did for us, but I don't, I don't preach that to people. Um, if people have different views, they have different views. Um, and I'm the same way with my hunting now. I shoot what I shoot because that's what I want to shoot um, for my own reasons. If somebody else wants to shoot a four point and it makes him happy and it feeds his family, shoot that four point. Like, who am I to tell you what you can and can't enjoy and what you should and should be shooting? So that's, that's just what I do now. And I think if more people just started doing that, I mean, I get it. Like I said, everybody wants to shoot giants. But if we continue down that path of treating each other like that and stealing people's stuff and getting in fights and calling each other out and raising the price of leasing ground up to where people can't afford it, they can't even afford to hunt, um, what do you have left? You're going to have nobody else to enjoy it with. Yeah. And that's the best part of hunting is just like what we're doing now, talking to other people that enjoy the sport as much as we do, getting ideas from people, learning stuff, 
And when you do shoot that buck, calling your buddies and driving it around town, you're excited. It shouldn't be like, oh, I'm ashamed now. I can't, I can't drive that buck around because people are going to make fun of me. I just, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, and that, that's something that social media, I mean, it comes again. It's a good thing. I mean, it, it is good. I, I, I think there are good things with social media, but you get in some of these damn hunting pages and it's a freaking nightmare. Like they, you know, yeah, everybody's arguing. Yeah. Just like the story you were telling me about the, uh, the buck pole with the, with the kid with the, the, uh, like the full corn on there. Yeah. In what world? It was like 11 year, 11 year old boy. In what world? And that's where, you know, kind of bring this all full circle here is just do the right thing, you know? Yeah. And that's where as, as hunters, and I, I'm a new hunter, man. Like I, by any means, I've been, I've been doing this for, this will be my fifth season, fifth or sixth season. One of two. I had good mentors. I hunt public. So that brings, and I've, I've seen that on public land. Where are you going? Where? Nah, nah, nah. Yeah. I got here first. I mean, okay, cool, dude. Like you can go over here. I'll go over here. We're not going to cross each other's path. It's no big deal. It just, just be a damn good person. Yeah. Well, it's the society we're in. It, it everybody's already so damn stressed out anyway. Yeah. Um, just because the world's going to shit. Uh, hunting is supposed to be your, your release and where you go to relax and then when you run into somebody else um that's in your spot or um people don't do like they did when i was a kid man you know they we would kind of nod and wave at each other and and go our separate ways and try not to interfere with what they were doing and i'm not saying that still doesn't happen but it's it's kind of became a lost art um it's, it's, we got to have some kind of confrontation and have some kind of, um, I don't know if you're trying to keep this kid friendly. I'm trying to find good words to use. Um, <laughs> just a, a pissing match right. over, you know, who's, who's got rights to, to whatever they're doing. Um, and that doesn't matter if it's on public or private. It's, and I've, I've been on both sides. I've been the asshole that started the, the the argument and i've i've been the guy on the receiving end i mean i I've, i can't even tell you over the years how many thousands of dollars worth of stuff i've had stolen um cameras tree stands you know sd cards you name it um and you just kind of shake your head like wow like really um i don't i don't know i like you said social media has been a, a great tool um, when, when used properly, but it's, it's also been a, it's also had its own part of destruction as well. Right. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the Avenue it's, it's the people like it's not social media that did this. It's not quality deer management that did it. It's not the, the term farming for whitetail. It's people. It's people. It's people. Uh, and that's, you know, and moving forward, I, I think that because the industry, when you look at TV shows or how we're doing things, it, it, they always shift. We're always going this way, then we're going this way, so on and so forth. Yeah. If you look at some of the people that are out there now, you know, Meat Eater, freaking uh, the Hunting Public, all these, all these other little these groups coming up, they're preaching good shit, right? Yeah. They, they are. Yeah good shit and you can see you can see in a lot of these uh hunting shows the fun and the camaraderie that they have yeah it's not about you know like maybe they didn't kill nothing maybe but they're still having fun sitting back at camp talking right right yeah that and that's that's the way i mean that's the way i grew up um you know, uh, my dad is no longer with us, unfortunately, but, um, raising me and my brother, uh, 
the memories I have, and he didn't bow hunt. I mean, he he didn't. I I think I bought him a bow or got him a bow when I was 17, 18, and I think he shot the thing maybe six, eight times. Um, he was a gun guy. Uh, you know, he's a police officer, so he was. That's all he knew was guns. Um, and he gun hunted, but his idea of gun hunting, like the level that, that I took it to was like his level was going to the UP with his brother or his buddies, um, drinking and, you know, they'd find some spot. I mean, my dad was big on starting fires in the woods to stay warm while he was hunting, like literally. And I remember me and my brother sitting in a, in a blind with him, which his blinds, you know, they're not like the blinds we have now. His was a cabin that, that, you know, he'd make. There was no moving. Didn't matter which way the wind was blowing. Um, it was, he would build a cabin out of down trees, put a roof on it. Um, he had a 55-gallon drum with a stack going out for him to have fires, and it would get so damn hot. He'd cook eggs on the damn, a little, little griddle that he cooked eggs and shit on smoke covered the whole woods we knew we would see nothing <laughs> and that was but he loved it and he loved the time spent with me and my brother um and even though it sucked because i think i watched my dad over probably 20 years of hunting with him shoot maybe three deer maybe the first buck he ever shot i think i was 21 22 um and he'd been hunting since he was a kid. That was the first buck he ever shot. Um, it it, it kind of sucks sitting there and not seeing anything and not shooting anything. But just the enjoyment. We would literally, this is no joke, man. This was back in the day when everybody kind of got along. Um, he, he would have people from adjoining properties miles away just walk. You know, they'd be walking the property, you know, just looking for deer. But they're they're it kind of reminded his hunting blind was like the gas station. Like people would just materialize out of the woods and stop by to have a cup of coffee with my dad and have him cook them some eggs. And my mom used to make these sausage balls every, every deer season. My dad would warm them up on the, on the, it was insane, but that's, that's what I grew up hunting with. And the fun of that and just, seeing people out in the woods and doing that it i try to still do that but i also like that's why i like bow hunting a lot is because it's it's uh it's just you you know what i mean you're you're out there um but you also i i i miss the the times with buddies and and having a hunting party and so just having a good time do you do you do any uh do you do any deer camps then no, um, about the most kind of camp thing we do, um, is go out West. Um, you know, the, typically there's a couple of us that'll either go, um, out to South Dakota antelope hunting or Colorado elk hunting. Um, and that's kind of a joint effort, but you know, here locally, not really. You know, we'll get together like the night before opening day of bow season or the opening day of gun season, which I haven't taken a gun to the woods in 15 years, probably. Um, I still bow hunt even during gun season. Um, but we get together and just tell stories and shoot the shit and, you know. But no, not not locally. That uh, And I think that that's one thing that if I could encourage anybody to do is to feel that sense of camaraderie yeah go have a camp or party like that you know like and it doesn't have to be you know it could just be an hour down the road to some place or just get together i mean i think about deer camp and it's kind of we all we eat damn good i mean a lot of times it's not venison but everybody breaks out their master chef skills and for that weekend we eat damn good but the first question right. always here is what'd you see you know or what happened or, and i i think that you get all those people together and that that right there in a whole is a confidence boost booster you know? well yeah and you uh it, it brings more meaning to what you're doing 
Right. You know, um, it, it, to me, it doesn't matter what it is that you do in life. Um, nobody's goal is to do it alone. Right. You know, you, you still want to have somebody, even, even if you hunt by yourself, how many people shoot a, a deer and don't want to tell anybody, you know, they don't want to call a buddy or somebody else. So, you know, as humans, we're not, we're just not programmed to be, most of us are not programmed to be in solitude. Right. Um, there's always more enjoyment with friends. I remember the most fun we ever had hunting ever. And we did it with bows was pushing, doing deer drives right. with archery. Um, and we actually got pretty proficient at it. Uh, you think that that'd be kind of a, that sounds like a little bit more of a difficult task. It, um, it, it was, but the fun that you got out of it, um, I can't even explain it, man. There was six or eight of us. Obviously it was, it was safer because, right. you know, we had a couple of close calls during gun season with pushing and a couple of idiots just firing into the damn swamp when we're trying to push the deer out. Um, archery equipment you really didn't have that kind of worry um but we uh we had all come become proficient enough with bows and knew what we were doing um i actually think we killed more deer with our archery equipment doing deer drives either cornfields or swamps than we ever did with guns um and just the fun we had doing it i, I can't even i could tell you stories for hours of that stuff so real quick here you know just for so people understand with uh, doing is essentially the same thing with an archery deer drive as if you're doing it with like a, a rifle deer drive. Exactly the same. I mean, you, you, uh, you kind of take a, if you don't know the property, you, you try to get a topo map or something, you know, wind direction is always key. Um, you know, your goal is to, to get your scent, blowing into where the deer are at and and blowing in the direction of where you want them to go so you want to you want them to smell you coming um but you don't want them to smell the guys that are on the other end um and you you look for pinch points and funnels and stuff um you know a lot of the property that we pushed when we were younger um where it was property we grew up on so we knew where the deer wanted to go um it was kind of it was almost cheating because we just knew the property so well um but if you know deer and uh, know deer's habits and what they want to do, um, it's pretty easy to direct them. You know, the biggest thing is, is, you know, they're not stupid. So especially your bigger bucks, if, if they know what's going on, they're going to want to get behind. You. Right. Um, so having somebody to cut that off, because um, if you don't, you, you're going to probably miss out on some pretty good opportunities because, you know, nobody wants to be the guy on the backside because you're thinking all oh, the deer are going that way. But a lot of times that's the best place to be is on the backside. Now with, uh, I, I've read, I've read this in a few different, you know, magazine articles and books talking, they were doing, well, do you, are you familiar with who the, the Wenzel brothers are? Yes. Okay. So I, it, it was in one of their books, uh, Gene and Barry, they were doing an archery deer drive and they're walking through. And by God, I think like Gene said that this buck was bedded down 10 yards literally sprawled out on the ground to try yeah. to just have the hunters walk past. And then he was yeah. probably going to, have you ever encountered anything like that where they stay put? Cornfields, especially. Cornfields. Um, well, even swamps. I mean, there's, I had a buddy almost get literally impaled and ran over uh, by a pretty decent buck that did not want to go the direction we wanted him to go. So he literally was in some cattails. And I bet he got three foot from that deer before that deer stood up and tried running him over. Um, cornfields, that happens a lot when you're, when you're pushing a cornfield. Um, they know you're there. I mean, they, they smelled you a half hour ago. Um, and I don't know why they do it. Um, they don't do it all the time, but there is. I, it's kind of like, to me, you know, back when scent control first started and everybody got on that bandwagon, which I, I believe in to, to an extent, um, you'll have deer. I don't care how good you are at scent control. You'll have deer come downwind to you and some don't care. Some 
they walk right by and it depends upon their demeanor and what kind of attitude they have at that point, whether they're going to spook and, and do get crazy and run away. Right. Um, and you might have a deer do that. And then 10 minutes later, another deer come down through there. That's walks down the same path, has the same wind current smells you, but doesn't get freaked out. Um, it's, it's no different when you're pushing, you know, it's just depends upon the attitude of that deer at the time you know, what they got going through their head of what they're going to do. Um, but yeah, they'll try to hide on you. That, uh, I, I always think reading that, you know, I, I always thought that was pretty cool. Just, uh, <laughs> getting up three foot, 10 yards, whatever. Yeah. Oh God, it is right there. I mean, that, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, we've had deer, deer around here, um, later in the year, start to get accustomed to guys driving around and shining or, uh, I mean, you'll know where the, the shining and the, I guess the road hunting is more prevalent um, because that's what deer will do if they're out by the road and they're batted down. When they see a car coming, if that car even starts to slow down, you'll see their heads go down and they'll try to get as low to the ground as they can. So is, um, is shining, because I know in Wisconsin, shining's legal. Is it legal in Michigan? It is up until the 1st of November, um, the entire month of November, it is not legal, which is our gun season starts the 15th. Um, but it's only legal up until 10 o'clock. Okay. Uh, so, um, it, it, any time of the year that you can shine 10 o'clock is the cutoff, but November, the whole month of November, you can't. Do you, uh, so talking about kind of going into now with, with your fall plans, are you doing anything now? Like I, get, I mean, we're middle of July. Are you running trail cameras or do you typically wait? And I actually just got a couple of my cameras out last weekend. Um, I have a bunch more to get out. Um, my property is condensed. Um, we kind of touched on that before we started this. Um, you know, Southern Michigan has, it's, the amount of land is the same. The amount of land accessibility has changed. Um, so where I used to have thousands of acres in my disposal as a kid, now I have maybe a couple hundred. Right. Um, so the hunting is good. Um, in the area I'm in, it's known for um, big bucks. Um, so they're there. It's just you, it, we as hunters have had to become smarter. Uh, because hunting pressure is up um, and the amount of land that you have accessible um, is, is seems like it's decreasing by the acre. Um, so um, I don't, I don't run as many cameras as I used to. Um, and I've went pretty much to all cell cameras. So I don't have to, um, I used to, I was always good about staying the hell out of there and just checking them like once a month or once every couple of months. But um it's way easier now with cell cameras. You know, actually, I want I want to touch on that real quick. There is a spot out here that every year, every year I go out there, I put I call it the honey hole, put cameras out, and at the time I was coming back every two weeks to pull that SD card. And last season, that kind of just clicked in my brain, dude you've already lost this and hunting season just started. Like you've already been yep. in here way too much. Yes. And no, it, it all depends upon, um, it, it depends upon the pressure. You know, if that, if that buck is feeling pressured, um, he will, he will change his pattern. Um, but if, if you're in a spot to where it's just you or maybe you and one other guy, um, I mean, they know you're there. Uh, it doesn't make them happy, um, but it, it won't necessarily run them out of there. And so um, that's where looking at the photos, I started, I went from seeing, you know, these morning, mid morning, evening photos, to straight nighttime photos. Well, that's just deer in general. Um, I don't know of too many places where deer don't just do that regardless of what, what human pressure they have, right? especially the bigger they get. 
Well, I am going. They don't get that big being dumb, and it's, and I don't think it's all about being, about being educated, um, the deer wise, um, is it is just their normal. That's just how they are. You know, right. that time of year they change. Um, everything about their environment changes, and and how they even what what they do is changing. It's no longer food based. Um, it's it it starts to turn into breeding um and you know big bucks don't normally have to do and i'm sure you've you've done enough research on this i mean your bigger bucks don't even do 75 percent of the breeding normally right. your small buck doing you know 75 percent. the big bucks are only doing 25 percent. um but you know they become more territorial um, and they're, they're looking for other bucks, um, and trying to establish their, their dominance. Um, about the time they start shedding their velvet, they, they, they just change their pattern and what they do. And you have to adapt to that. You have to recognize what's going on and, and decide whether, okay, is it because of my encroachment, you know, checking my cameras or, and that's why to me, you can't have enough cameras. Like right. even on a small parcel of land, um, they just, they change just a, a little bit to where you're not getting him on that camera and you instantly go, what did I do wrong? Um, did I bump him? Now I would hundred percent recommend staying out of their bedding area. Oh yeah. Um, you know, if, if you can, a lot of guys love to hunt the bedding area, but you have to know what you're doing. Um, and you have to know that that property. But I, I think if 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 it's if it's a small enough encroachment, you don't have a whole bunch of people going in there. I think you just going in there every couple of weeks to check your trail camera is not going to be the deciding factor if that buck changes what he's doing. And that's where you know I, I'm going to test it out. I, I mean, like I told you, I hunt all public land. I've got as far as my feet will take me plenty of ground to cover right now i'm going to test it out this year because I, I normally don't even like getting down in there until the middle late of the middle or end of october or the beginning the middle of november so I, i'm going to test it out i'm going to go which it, things have kind of changed around here a little bit we uh we're a cwd county now yeah so all right we uh we can't put any i'm listening we can't put any minerals out or, or do anything like that. So the, uh, the mock scrape game has kind of been the go-to, which has, uh, it's proved to be very, very interesting. And it, it just makes you, it, it makes you understand these deer, just in my opinion, just a little bit more, you know? Yeah. But you have to know, the thing of it is, is you, you, the picture can't tell the story. No. The picture tells you that deer is there. Um, you have to know, um, paying attention to which direction that deer is traveling. Like, where is he coming into the picture frame? Where is he going? Um, looking on maps as to, okay, where do I believe he's betting based on the time of day that I'm getting this picture, how far is he traveling before he gets there and where is he going? Um, and then if you quit getting that deer on camera to not freak out and start to try to figure out, okay, you, you, you just have to start thinking like a deer. Okay. Where would I go? Um, your bigger bucks, the odds of you running them out of their area are slim to none. They're there. Um, you just have to figure it out. Um, so I, sometimes cameras can be your best friend. Sometimes they can be your worst enemy. Um, but you can't just because you've been getting him on camera here for X amount of days, that can't be, okay, this is where I'm going to kill him. And if, if I don't hear not have a plan B, right, right. And that's and that, I mean and that's where there's 
and this is like the meat and potatoes to it all is the strategy and how you're going to go about the hunt, you know, like having these backup places, having plans, sitting in, sitting in your garage, living room shop, whatever, and talking to your buddies about, man, I think that I'm going to try this, this, and this. And if this doesn't work, if, if all three of those things don't work, change the strategy up completely and come at it from this way. Right. And that, that's the, that's one of the most fun parts about bow hunting whitetails is yeah. the strategy. Cause I mean, at hunting public land, I did the ladder stand game for the first two years. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I think I sweat more taking that thing out and putting that thing in. I, uh, no, I, I made the switch and I bought a hang on that I put on my back. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is you can't be afraid to move. Like you have to know when you need to, to change what it is that you're doing. Yeah. And a lot and, of people though, they, they get sucked in on location. Yeah. And well, because a lot of times they, they spend so much time um, just looking at trail cam picks and they're all happy because they got this deer on camera um, that they believe that's going to be the spot where they kill it. And they don't spend enough time learning the property and learning deer habit, especially public land. Um, because human activity, whether you like it or not, is going to increase during that time of year, the deeper in the woods you go. I mean, people right. walk, they do just crazy stuff. So you, that's when knowing the property and knowing the habits of the deer, um, like I said, learning how to think like a deer, where, where would I go? Like if I wanted privacy, because most of your public land hunters will hunt so far from the truck. That, um, that a general consensus. That's true. I just a couple hundred so yards in, from the truck. Unless somebody killed that buck that you don't know about, he's still there. He's just moved to a spot to where people aren't bothering him. Right. Uh, and if he hasn't, then yes, most likely he's become nocturnal and you, the odds of you killing him, unless somebody bumps him, start decreasing. Right. So uh, what, what plans do you have with your uh, archery shoots up until hunting season? Um, we have, uh, typically I shoot, um, the ASA, which is the Archer Shooter Station Association, um, the ASA Nationals. We have two left this year, which one is uh, the last weekend of this month, the first weekend of um, of August down in uh, Coleman, Alabama. And then the last one that finishes up, which is the, the World Classic, ASA World Classic, is in Fort Benning, Georgia at the end of August. Um, so those are the two national 3D shoots that we have left this year. And then, uh, you know, we have a few state stuff still left over. Um, and then you get basically a, what is it? You get uh, September, October off, pretty much nothing going on. Um, oh, there is a, I don't know if you've ever heard of Redding. Um, it's a, uh, the NFAA, the National Field Archery Association, um, puts on a huge event out in Redding, California, <clears throat> which is 3D, but it's marked 3D. So there's uh, orange dots on the 3D targets um, out to 101 yards um, over various terrain. Um, there's one on the east side of the, the country now is starting to have one in uh, Wabash, Indiana. So I will be going to that. I think that's the second or third weekend in August. Um, I should know because I'm on the, the program committee for that. But um, so, yeah, we have that one is, a, is an NFA sanctioned event, um, a national tournament. Then you have the two uh, ASAs left. And then you have uh, we got September and October off. And then uh, I think it's the first weekend or second weekend in December basically kicks off the indoor um, spot season. That sounds like With a blast, man. That's that's 20 yards just trying to hit the size of a dime, 60 arrows at a time. Jeez, almighty. Yeah. That sounds that sounds like a blast. I, I think that there's a lot of people out there that, number one, just go outside and shoot your damn bow. Yeah. 
Number two, get involved with something like this. Go try it one time. Get a group of friends and go. Either you like it or you don't like it, but it's probably still going to be a good thing. The thing I can tell you about, and this is, I don't care if you're, you're competitively shooting a bow or you're competitively shooting a rifle or handgun. And, and one of the best things that you can, getting kids involved is, first off, I mean, you, they do have team events, but it's a uh, individual sport. And the, the thing that it teaches you the most is how to deal with adversity and um, it's discipline. Yeah. I mean, 100% discipline. Um, the, there's just not, it, it changes it even changes how you interact with, with people. Um, like I, the biggest difference I noticed when it came to, um, when you're on a national stage competing and your, your focus is so clear on what it is that you're doing and you're handling the nerves when you're done, the way you handle yourself in everyday life even changes. Right. Like you, you're more confident in doing interviews, taking tests. Um, it's it's weird. Like you just things that you used to get nervous about. Once you learn how to handle that, you, you just you feel like you can accomplish anything. So I think it's 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 huge if parents wanted to get their kids involved in that just because of the the things that you learn, um, not just about shooting a bow, but about yourself. It, archery will, it will teach you a thing or two. It, yeah. It will. Uh, I mean, I feel and just like when I, you think you figure it out, you find out you're wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, that's, I, I had to laugh. I got a buddy of mine from uh, Wisconsin and he's, he's a, he knows quite a bit about archery. He likes to build his own arrows, do all this and that. And, I'm like, man, I thought I started shooting good. I'm finally figuring it out a ways. And then he starts talking about arrow building and making sure your bow's in tune and all this and this and this. And I'm like, wait a minute. It doesn't just stop here. Like it yeah. keeps going. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, and that's the, that's the one, like we talked about social media earlier. That's the one good thing and bad thing about social media is it's, it's helped a lot because there's so much more information at your fingertips um, that you, you never used to have access to back in the day. Back in the day, it was all trial and error. You know, you would go down 100 rabbit holes before you figured out, okay, that's not right. Um, now you can Google it. You know, you can, it, like I told you earlier, you have to be careful who you decide to listen to because everybody has just as much access to their phones and computers as right. you and I do. And so just because you see it on YouTube or uh, wherever doesn't mean that it's true. So that's why I told you when it comes to setting up somebody for a bow is find somebody who knows what they're doing, um, that knows how to set somebody up properly for draw length, that knows how to tune a bow, that knows how to show you at least somewhat proper technique and form. Um, and that when you need answers to questions, because you will come up with a million questions and you never figure it all out. No. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's always a learning curve. Um, but the more you know about your equipment, the better, the, the better shot you become. Yep. Like the more you work on your own stuff, um, you know, I, I know it kind of hurts you know, archery shops, because now it's, it's pretty easy for somebody to, to buy a press now, you know, it's not that expensive to buy a bow press, um, to, to research how to use it. Um, you know, you, you can get yourself in trouble if you don't know what you're doing. The last thing you want to do is blow your bow up. Um, but you know, when it comes to building arrows and tuning and doing all that stuff, it's the information is there. Um, and the more that you learn how to do that stuff on your own, fletching arrows, restringing your bow, um, you know, learning what point weights to shoot and being able to take them outside on a target and see what's, what's more accurate, you know, um, 
you know, fletching up just a few arrows at a time with a, at a certain length with a certain grain and group shooting that to see what groups you get with that. I mean, it's, it's like, um, you know, reloading your own ammunition for rifles, right. you know, archery the same way. It's no yeah. different. That's really when you start, you know, I like to think it's like you're perfecting your craft. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you can't, I mean, the thing of it is, is like I told you before, when it comes to archery, yes, there's ways to become better, but at the end of the day, I don't care how good your bows tune, how well your arrows are built. If you can't repeat your shot process, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And everybody falls into blaming their equipment. <laughs> you know, my string stretched or, you know, one of my fletches is wrong or whatever. It comes down to you just made a bad shot and you have to admit it to yourself and move on. That, that It'll teach you to be very, humble. very humble. Yeah. And take, take that criticism because it'll show you. It'll whoop your ass every single time when you make a mistake. Oh, yeah. And you got to take it and be better. Yeah. You got to take it and actually go with it and learn something from it. Well, and you have to learn. Um, you have to stay within your means. Right. You know, um, just because you see somebody else doing this, you see somebody else doing that. Um, you might try it and it might work out for you. It might not. But just, you know, learn your own capabilities and grow at your own pace. Don't, in archery, you cannot skip steps. No. It does not work. It will set you back more than it'll set you forward. Um, and I mean, I, I, I have a lot of sponsors and I know they don't like us saying this, but it, you don't always have to have the, the latest and greatest. I've got my ass handed to me by a guy shooting a 20 year old bow um, with his arrows stuffed inside of his boot. Like that's was that was his quiver was he, they were stuck in his boot. Um, so with a 20 year old bow. So it's not always about having the latest and greatest or whatever, you know, Jim Shockey shooting or, you know, whatever. And that's where you, as, as a, you have to sit down in what, like if, if archery stuff, okay. But when it comes down, do I need this? Is this going to improve? Is this going to make me be able to hunt harder? Is it going to make me do any of these things? Most of the time it's no, but I mean, for example, for a good pair of backpack straps, if you're walking long distances, you probably want a good pair of backpack straps on your tree stand. Yeah. You know, that's a no brainer, but that the marketing stuff, I, oh man. Well, it's like, it's like a day pack for, you know, you know, going outside and walking a hundred yards to your tree stand versus a pack that you're going to take out west and probably pack out an elk you, you don't want to go cheap on an elk pack right I promise you that <laughs> um it will destroy you i don't care if you're in the best shape of your life if you have a bad pack that doesn't a fit you and isn't built like the space shuttle you'll, you'll... you you're gonna be hurting man <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're going to feel that all the way back to wherever the hell you're going. There is times where having the best equipment um, is your is your go to, and there's other times where you can get away with a twenty five dollar Walmart backpack, right, um, and not have any worries. But it's it's the same thing with all of your equipment. You you got to figure out what it is you want to do, like. Just because you're watching these guys on TV that are literally, you know, spotting and stalking mule deer or whatever, and they're shooting out to 100 yards, is that what you're going to do? Or can you get away with, in that instance, having the best equipment, it's, it's going to help you become right. more successful. Um, if you're planning on just bow hunting um, out of a tree stand um, and your, your average shot's going to be 20 or less, maybe 25 tops, which is still, I think, to this day, even though archery has kind of extended itself, um, used to be it was all about getting animals close to shoot them with a bow. Now it's, you know, everybody brags about how far away it was they shot it. Um, still, I think you look at statistics, the average archery kill is like 18 yards. Right. Um, so if that's what you're doing, 
does the top of the line have to be in your repertoire? No, you can get away with a, a garage sale bow, you right. know? <laughs> oh, well, man, we are, uh, we're kind of coming up on the, on the time hack here, but I, I just want to thank you for coming on here and talking with me about archery and some mental toughness and deer hunting stuff, man. I appreciate you coming on here. Yeah, man. I, it was a pleasure doing it. I'm glad, uh, glad brian and put us in contact with one another um i would have a if this wasn't a podcast being aired to everybody i'd i'd do my shout out to brian and but i'll i'll leave that for another day yeah yeah there's your shout out brian there's yeah yeah <laughs> oh. i spent oh. i spent probably the last two weeks trying to convince his wife not to marry him <laughs> like, you haven't wised up yet yeah you should have ran for the hills yeah, but she stayed, so yeah. <laughs> sorry for her. <laughs> so if uh, if people, man, if, if anybody has any questions about archery, where where can they find you at? Uh, they can find me on Facebook, uh, Mark Ritchie. Um, I also have my, it's still Mark Ritchie is my professional archery page. Um, uh, Instagram. Facebook. I, I mean, I have to have two social media accounts for my sponsors and stuff, but I typically just use Facebook and I only use it for archery. I don't get into all the other stuff that goes on there. Cool. Cool. Well, folks, if you guys have any questions for Mark, I'm sure that he'd be more than happy to, uh, to answer them again. Thank you, sir, for coming on here and, uh, and talking with me and to, uh, all of our, our listeners, folks, you guys stay safe out there, and as always, hunt relentlessly. Thanks, man. Thank you.